Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a special edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror, and Adi Aladipo, the journalist and broadcaster. Whose game is it anyway? It seems we're about to find out. Make no mistake, the self-serving so-called Super League is an existential threat to football as we know it. The global game will have its own NFL and it's been hijacked by American speculators. But first, the shocks keep coming. Tottenham have sacked Jose Mourinho. It might not seem that important, given we're talking about a huge issue in the Super League, and we'll get to that, I promise you. But Darren, Mourinho's gone. What do you make of that? Well, in a a weird way, this kind of dovetails with what we are going to talk about afterwards, because Tottenham are a club that don't really want to invest as much as the biggest clubs in the country, but they continually want managers to come in and overachieve with those players. Pochettino, when the stadium was built, the new stadium was built, continually would plead for more investment in the squad and didn't get it. And it ended up the underachievement of the players, or maybe the players going back to their level, ended up costing him his job. I think the same thing has happened to Mourinho. It is, listen, it goes without saying, and a lot of people would point to his man management and the concerns around that man management. And I'm sure he would look at himself. He's not stupid. And he would know that there are questions to answer around the the fact that he just wouldn't play Gareth Bale, who was sitting on expensive wages on the bench when he could have been playing, could have been scoring goals, making goals, inspiring the team, played for Wales, did well, but just wasn't given the opportunity to do that in the Spurs shirt. Deli Alley, an asset for the club. Harry Winks came through the academy, not getting a game. Five defenders and two defensive midfielders against Everton the other night. The style of football leading lots of fans to fall out of love. But at the same time, he had to do that because Spurs wouldn't invest in quality. And the problem for Spurs as a football club is that they want they will want someone else to come in 
and continue to overachieve instead of, and they, they're not no different to any other club, bringing in the quality to give the person in charge the best chance of succeeding. Am I surprised he's gone? No. Am I surprised at Spurs? No. I just think that it's very, very sad. And as things stand at the moment, Jose Mourinho, I think that might be it. I hope we do see him back, but I, I think he may now want to go elsewhere rather than stay in this country to manage again. Because he has struck a lot of us over the last six months in particular as yesterday's man, mm. Addy. You know, the game has overtaken him, hasn't it? It has, unfortunately. But I still do think there is a fantastic manager. And given the right players, I think there's a manager that can prove to be still one of the greats in the elites uh, when it comes to coaching and management in this, maybe not this country like Darren said, but in the world. Uh, I find it, I find the timing of it very strange. I mean, Tottenham on the cusp of winning their first trophy in how many years when they play City in the Carabao Cup final, you would have thought that you would leave it until at least then. If anyone can win you a trophy in a one-off game. I think history proves it is Jose Mourinho, but there has been problems at the club. Daniel Levy would look at what he might deem as assets that are devaluing under Mourinho. Deli Ali was once considered a 50, 60 million pound player. He's no longer that. Harry Winks, another asset that's depreciating. Gareth Bell's an incredible wages. And like Darren said, hasn't played. Is Harry Kane happy? Doesn't seem like it. Mourinho has come out openly in the last three or four months. And look, we're seeing a different Mourinho. A Mourinho of 10, 15 years ago used to take bullets for his players. It was all about him. If the players didn't perform, he was happy to kind of say, no, my fault. And almost be that guy to safeguard his players. He's now throwing players under the bus. And he's done that now in his last two jobs in management. Luke Shaw got thrown under the bus quite a lot, right? I mean, at Manchester United, Pogba's comments recently about his relationship with Mourinho clearly hasn't helped. But I still think he's a top manager. I really do. And I think um, give him the players and surround him with the players. And I think Mourinho will win things. I just, he, he's, he's a serial winner. And I don't think that just comes to a stop and a halt. Daniel Levy knew who he was appointing. He knew what kind of character he was. So that surprises me. But again, they're on the cusp of winning their first trophy. And you sack a manager that um, knows how to win trophies. So, so it does surprise me. It really does. I have to look at this, Darren, with a bit of a jaundiced eye. Is Daniel Levy thinking, well, actually, this might not be a bad day to bury bad news? Do you know, I, I 150% agree with you. I know you can't get 150. No, but 150 right really to. does sum it up. Though. It really does. <laughs> Um, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity because obviously there isn't enough space. Listen, uh, I spoke to my news editor and my news editor said something that I can't really repeat on air when I told him because there isn't enough space to give it the analysis that we should on a day like today. And I think someone somewhere realised we could get away with this today. But I still think that it will get analysis online and in print over the next couple of days because it demands it. He's a huge manager, has been in this country for the last 15 or so years. And Spurs as a club, one of the quote-unquote founding members of the Super League, the new Super League, more on that later, they, they are a big club as well. And so... It demands the scrutiny that it will get. But I just think as far as Spurs are concerned, sp sacking Mourinho 
in the week that they compete in the Carabao Cup final, it's remarkable. Mm. It, uh, and yet, I wonder if they've taken the view we brought Gareth Bale to this club to play in big matches just like this. And they can read the tea leaves and see that maybe Mourinho wasn't intending to play him in the game. He wasn't intending to play a Deli Alley in the game. He wasn't intended to go on the front foot and at least give the the team, the club, a chance of actually competing, but trying to stop, frustrate Manchester City. And maybe they got fed up with that. I don't know. Maybe they might, they're banking on the idea that they might get a bounce from the team going into this match. All I know at this stage is that Ryan Mason, Chris Powell, they've been taken, they're given charge of the team as things stand at the moment. And I have to say, sadly, there are lots, of, there are more than a few players who are happy that the change has been made. And uh, it's almost as was put to me as if a cloud has been lifted at the club in the last few hours or so. If you're Harry Kane, Addy, would this news make you more or less likely to stay at Tottenham? It's mm, a good question, Mike. Um, same. I, I, I think it's, it's exactly the same as when Mourinho was there, if I'm honest with you. I don't think it's more or, or less. I think Harry Kane's future d depends on what Tottenham can do in the summer transfer window. And I don't think it's going to be that much. Possibly depends on whether they can win the Carabao Cup final. <clears throat> I think Kane's already made his decision. We just don't know it yet. Kane is a top player and and I think he wants to win some serious trophies. It reminds me a bit of Robin van Persie's time at Arsenal. He could, I think Kane will be on his way out and I don't think this has changed it at all. I really don't. Again, though, going back to the timing of it, I still, I still find it, very, very strange. I really do. And look, whether or not we all believe that Mourinho is what he was before and he probably isn't that, we know when it comes to cup finals, his record is incredible. Um, we've seen a little chink in the armour with Man City recently and Chelsea knocking him out and Kevin De Bruyne possibly being injured. You, you, you give Mourinho a chance here. You give Mourinho a chance. And I would like to hear from what Spurs fans think about the time of this as well. I mean... I mean, look, whether or not it's going to be Ryan Mason that leads the team out at Wembley, would you want Ryan Mason doing that or would you want Jose Mourinho? They they would want, for, for what's been a turbulent season, you want Jose Mourinho. Yeah, well, it's certainly been a quiet day so far. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen now. Uh, Darren, the Super League, you know, we have to basically devote the rest of the show to that. It's such a, a, a huge thing. I just want to begin our debate with a deceptively simple question. Will it happen? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. I, I, we are recording this, <clears throat> excuse me, nine hours after an email dropped in mine and I'm sure many other journalists inbox last night, which was a departure from what normally happens around this kind of talk. Normally the talk appears, there is a chorus of disapproval, and then it disappears into the ether because the people who had tested the water of public opinion have realised that there isn't the appetite for it. But this is different. This is real. This is funded by a bank who know that there is money to be gained by pushing ahead with it. And, you know, Mike, I'm not surprised by it at all. 
I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. I know a lot of people are angry and upset and outraged. Come on. We live in an era of zero shame, zero accountability. We live in a time where people of influence say one thing and do another. And I, for me, once a cartel of clubs realised in the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s, that they were sitting on an untapped oil well, the hourglass for football was turned upside down because then you had businessmen coming into the mix and they saw the game as an irrelevance on the pitch, but they saw the potential to milk it for all it is worth as a golden opportunity. So we had this with the inception of the Premier League and right now history is simply repeating itself. And I'll tell you this, do you really think, real talk here, do you really think some of the broadcasters hosting debates about just how bad this is aren't making tentative inquiries behind our backs on the QT to find out whether they can host Real Madrid against Man United or Liverpool against Barcelona. Do you really think that the people who run these football clubs aren't turning round and thinking, forget about the people like... Listen, in your book, you mention uh, who whose game is it anyway? Out today, I, I don't want to embarrass you, Mike, but I've started reading it, super read, and the timing of it could not be better because we are a world away from Oli Goss and, and Billy Lane and and Paul Reaney and, and Dave Mackay and all of the legends of the past. The people who own these football clubs don't even know who they are and they don't care either because they are aiming this at the Netflix generation. The people who want to pay for football, they want to pay for boxing or uh, Addy. You know, they, want to, they are prepared if the quality is there, if the names are big enough, to put their hands in their pocket and pay. That's what they're banking on. And if people in this country don't do it, people around the world will do it. That's why it will happen. But surely, and you know, I take everything on board you said there, Darren, And but surely we have got something worth fighting for. And by we, I mean the people who have grown up, who've grown up with the game, who understand its values, forms part of our identity my view is very very brief is basically kick them out let's re this is an opportunity to reset you know i loathe the whole principle of it and like you darren i'm not surprised by it addy this is the most significant moment i think in modern football history what would you do about it i will say this as, as passionate as it sounds to to want to kick them out, it's too late. We opened the door and let them in and we were happy to welcome in, them in. Fans all up and down the countries were screaming for the next billionaire or nearly trillionaire owner of their clubs to come in and save their clubs and to help their clubs fight for more silverware. We've let them in. Uh, we can't complain now. As Darren said, these are businessmen. These aren't fans of the club. This isn't your local millionaire business owner that supported the local club that wanted to chuck a, a few quid into it. These are now businessmen and all they see are accounts and balance sheets and purchase ledgers. That's, that's all they see. They don't see anything else. I, I will say this, maybe people might say that Roman Abramovich started this. I see him somehow quite different. I see him at Chelsea games and well, when we used to see him at Chelsea games and you used to see him kind of be passionate about what was going on on the pitch. You don't see that from these new owners. They don't look at it like that. It's just a business and that's all it is. 
we can start fan-owned clubs and we've seen fans take over clubs. But even those, you look at Wrexham as a good example of a, a club that was fan-owned for a few years, though they have succumbed to Hollywood owners that have chucked money in and they think that these Hollywood owners are chucking in money because they somehow like Wrexham. They're chucking in money because it's a business. We've seen the same thing with Portsmouth. Uh, again, another fan-owned club that, you know, two, what, three years ago were bought out by the ex-owner or CEO of Disney. It, it, it's laughable that we as fans are upset because, again, we let them in, Mike. We let them in. And right now, it's, it's almost too late to kick them out. It's going to be a difficult few weeks and months, Mike, because football, as we know it, it's changing. It, this will now look like the NFL. It will now look like the NBA. And we have to own that. Can I, uh, uh, just to add to that, you know, I, I, in the hours leading up to this, I've been looking at a lot of the coverage on broadcast, reading a lot of the coverage, lots of the governing bodies threatening the clubs with this, that and the other. The clubs have the power. There is no game without these clubs. There are, and, and people say, oh, it'd be interesting to hear what the players and the managers say about it. They're employees of the clubs. Mm. And, and the bottom line is that when those clubs house the talent, they can stay, they can pick their ball up and take it to wherever they want. So there is a real, there is a reality about this that you're kind of pushing, you're kind of like King Canute, really, trying to hold back the tide. The fact is, and I know this, we know this from going on pre-season tours of football clubs. I've been to Malaysia and seen fans queuing around the block to watch Liverpool against West Brom. You know, what? The, and I mean, I, I remember the, the, on the occasion I took it, it was the Asia Trophy. And I was so struck by it that I filmed it on my phone. I mean, the queue was like a mile, of ridiculous. Pre-season match, stadium was full up. And I'm sure they're looking at that thinking, what about if this was Liverpool against Real Madrid? You know, we, we've had talk, we've had the idea of this happening for years in various guises. The 39th game, Project Big Picture, you know, all sorts of guises this wolf has coming to the sheep's enclosure to try and devour our product. And it, it, see, Mike, you are probably an example of the purest form of, of passion a naked belief in, 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 in the beauty of our game. But the reality is that when people say kick them out, the big clubs will say, fine, we'll go. And, yeah. and they will bank on the idea that the fans, however disgusted they might be today, will be watching on a Wednesday night. Because that's the reality of the, the, the world that we live in. People want to see the biggest players, the biggest clubs on the biggest stage. And people said, oh, well, it, it's going to be meaningless games. It's going to be a closed shop, no relegation or whatever else. I've seen the plans. They just look like the Champions League. <laughs> Effectively. I mean, and, and so I, I don't, clearly I don't want, I hope people don't listening to this don't are not misguided by what I'm trying to say. I'm not in favour of it. I'm just recognising the inevitability of it. Football has been heading in this way for a long, long time. But I'm not so sure that... You see, I think they might have overplayed their hands here because we're living in an age, well, the last year especially, we're living in an age of a pandemic. And by that very nature, it has been a time for self-reflection. I found that 
when I was doing doing the book, and you know, the books spawned hours, which was the documentary. You know, I was fortunate enough to do for BT Sport that examined the football through the eyes of the supporters. I've got a friend, West Ham fan. He he was talking. We were talking the other day, and this was before this news. But as you said, Darren, you know this. We know that something like this has been coming for a while. And he was saying, well, over the past year, you know, obviously I haven't been able to go and watch West Ham. He said, but I've been thinking about it. If I take my son to the Olympic Stadium, that's train fares, a couple of beers beforehand, a bit of lunch. That's 250 pounds, 250 quid. Mm. Now, he said, you know, I'm, I'm out of the habit of going now. I'm going to go down to my local non-league club. It'll be eight quid to get in. I'll have a couple of pints. I might change ends at half time with my lad. Why not? And I think there are an awful lot of people who are so disgusted by this news that they will gravitate towards their local clubs, be that in lower leagues or non-league. And I think this is the time for a reset. And I think resets come in th in basically in 30-year cycles. So if you look at it, 1960s, you had the minimum wage. 1990 or 92, the Premier League. 2021, 2022, the Super League. Let's take advantage of that. If you look at the FA, the FA made a fundamental mistake in allowing the Premier League to come into existence and basically ceding power to the Premier League. If UEFA do the same thing by trying to do a deal with these Super League clubs or so-called Super League clubs, they will make the mistake that the, the FA made and they will be marginalised. We have to fight this. No matter how futile it might seem, you have to fight it. Do you get what I'm thinking? Do you get my thinking, uh, ab Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, this tiny island of ours that we live in might be a minority. Uh, and what I mean by that is you spoke there, Mike, about, you know, maybe stop going to these big matches, right? I mean, look, I sometimes used to travel down to Arsenal when I could. I, I could never afford to do that anymore and go and watch Arsenal play. The biggest revenue from football is from TV revenue. It's not from the match day revenue, it's from TV revenue. Darren spoke about going to the mid, the Far East and watching Liverpool versus West Brom. The Far East pay billions for TV revenue. Africa pay billions for TV revenue. The money isn't coming from, well, look, a, a, a minority of the money comes from match day revenue, but the biggest money comes from TV revenue. So it's almost a case of we, the fans over here in this country, might kick up a, a, a storm and fuss and not turn up to games. But as long as those countries in the Far East are still playing their big bucks for TV revenue, they're fine. And they will. They will. Can you imagine how much they're going to play for Liverpool versus Real Madrid or Barcelona versus United or Arsenal versus, I'm hearing Porto might join this now. That's where it comes from. It isn't coming from your ticket, every, your ticket sales or people going for the turnstiles. Yes, we can stop going and supporting they're fine with that. And I think they've seen that during the pandemic. They've been hit hard in the pocket during the pandemic with no fans being able to turn up to grounds. TV revenue still coming in. TV revenue still coming in. Well, if you look at it, though, 
one of the, I think, the most accomplished financial commentators on social media has been talking about, well, look, here's, the, here's why. Here's why this Super League has happened. The 12 clubs who signed up, Liverpool haven't yet published their accounts, but the others lost a combined £1.2 billion in 2019-20 before player sales. So is this what it really is? You know, there was a lot of pomposity about that statement and a lot of arrogance in that statement, Darren. But this is just about trying to claw back money, isn't it? 100% it is, because the appetite is there. And, and this is what I said earlier, you know, if you create this thing, however angry and upset people are, and, and you, the fact is that, that they are not aiming this at people of our age, our generation, people who have watched football for 30, 40 years, people who are our heroes of the 70s and the 80s, maybe even the 60s, they are aiming this at the Netflix generation. We are now in a period, in an era where people pay for everything. Addy watches, Addy covers boxing, Addy knows, you know, that you have pay-per-view for the most inauspicious of... Smallest, ludicrous, inc- like... Sorry to interrupt you, Dave. You have pay-per-view for absolutely everything in boxing nowadays. The biggest fights only can be made with pay-per-view. That's just how it works in boxing, and that's how it's going to work with football. Darren's right. It is a Netflix generation they're aiming this at. Liverpool versus Real Madrid on this new Super League, and we don't know how this is going to work from a TV revenue standpoint. It could be a pay-per-view match. It could be a case of people have to pay to watch it. And that's what they're aiming at. And that's what boxing's been for many, many years. The idea of Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua happening for free is ludicrous. That's going to cost you upwards of $100 on pay-per-view. That's just how and it what is. what they've established over many years is that people are prepared to pay. And this is the reason why this will go ahead. I agree with you, Mike. We should fight this on moral grounds, if nothing else. Fans should try to vote with their feet. Uh, fans, not just in this country, but elsewhere. I mean, m- mercifully in Germany, there's this 50 p- plus 1% uh, fan ownership model. That means that Bayern and Dortmund can't just walk away and join up with, 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 with the other 12 clubs. It may well be a matter of time before PSG go along because people will will, will uh, the debate over the competitiveness of the league is is neither here nor there. The fact is that PSG would not be out of place with these big clubs in this cabal, if you like. But the fact is that they were, are banking on the fact that people will watch they are banking on the fact that they have the best players in the game there there is a reality about the fact that if they're playing on a Wednesday we're going to have a substandard product at the weekend and the only way that we can fight against this is by using the power of our pockets but where Addy is right is that if we don't pay to watch it if we don't go it is a global game and, and suddenly you'll say, well, fans aren't coming in England anyway. Let's stage the game in, well, we're doing it at the moment in, in the Champions League, aren't we? Let's stage it in Hungary. Let's stage it in Seville. Let's stage it in this European city. You know, we already have a 39th game, if you like, you know, because the, the, we are seeing now football clubs travelling around Europe to play their matches and we are watching 
all it's going to be is a different title, a different ribbon around it, but we are getting that product. And so there is a futility about the fight against it. I think it's going to happen and I think it's only a matter of time. And all of the noises, I mean, Boris Johnson, do me a favour. I mean, you know, Boris, I think he's got a few other things to worry about in this country before he even gets anywhere near football. Oliver Dowden, sound bites, but really in the scheme of things, smoke. The, the fact is that football has a fight on its hands. How is it going to fight it? Well, you know, like you're right, whether it wins or not, it's got to fight it. It's a question of how it launches that fight to try. Because there is this, this hope we're clinging to, we're clinging to that even to the last, it might be the clubs trying to leverage more money out of UEFA. And if that's the case, then we could go back to where we were, maybe. But I, I wonder if the genie's out of the bottle and this is now only a matter of time before it happens. Yeah, well, that's why I made the point that, that if the if UEFA accept these guys back in, these clubs back in, they will basically be confirming their own impotence. And frankly, mm. that's an existential problem for them. I think also what really sticks in the craw is the arrogance of these so-called founding clubs. Now, what a phrase that is. You know, what 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 do they want to be, do they want to be, you know, put on football's Mount Rushmore? You know, let's let's have let's have Joel Glazer in a you know, 98 foot stone sculpture in the in the Snowdonia somewhere. Come on, you know. Do, also, we've got to ask if this thing is elite in inverted commas. Why Spurs? Why Arsenal? You look at where these clubs are in the league at the moment. Yeah, they've they've um, definitely won. The, they've done they won the lottery ticket, haven't they? Even being included in this, I've seen Spurs fans on social media try and explain as to why they've done it, and they said, "Well, we have you know the second biggest stadium in the country. Tick that box. We got to the Champions League final in two thousand and nineteen. Tick that box. Look, they don't deserve to be there, nor do Arsenal right now. I mean, when you think of the traditional big six, yes." Arsenal were part of that. They're no longer a part of the big six, are they? I think it's fair to say. Look, I I think every single club in the Premier League would have accepted this if offered. Uh, we, I've seen fans of other clubs come out and say, we're happy not to be here. Your chairman or your president would have accepted the, the open invitation if you were offered to be in this. I, I just hope that the Premier League take a stance. Look, we, I wait to see what the Premier League are going to do. There have been some... Some thoughts that the Premier League will kick him out of the Premier League. That's not going to happen. No way. You kick out these clubs in the Premier League, then the Premier League isn't worth what it is. So I, I wait to see what's going to happen. I, I really do. Um, I love the, the stance that Dortmund and Bayern Munich are taking, but I think it's just a matter of time. Same with Paris Saint-Germain. It's just a matter of time before all of these clubs join. We're hearing it's going to be 15 and potentially 20 clubs. And I, I, I wait to see what the other eight clubs are. But like Darren said at the top, is it not just like the Champions League? I mean, what what really are the differences to this in the Champions League? Apart from more money, they're playing on a Wednesday to Saturday. That's kind of what we see in European football at the moment. There, there isn't much difference to it. Am I wrong? Am I seeing something completely different, Darren? No, you're not. No, you're not. There isn't really all of this under cover of the Champions League, it really in plain sight, if you like, is being tested out as things stand at the moment. Look, when you were talking, Mike, about the fans can can maybe take a stand. We've seen when clubs have not been happy at their clubs 
that they've voted with their feet. The most obvious example in recent times has been Arsenal fans. Uh, yeah, Liverpool fans as well, Darren. You think about it. You know, they they militated against ticket prices. Absolutely. Yep. You know, they they defended the club's traditions when the owners essentially took Bill Shankly's name in vain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, and 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 while we're on it, actually. How does it how does it feel as a Liverpool fan, a Liverpool fan, seeing your club put out a press statement quoting Joel Glazer? Honestly. What's all that about? It, it is embarrassing. It is embarrassing. embarrassing. And when you think about what Liverpool as a club, as a region, has stood for, a people's club, a socialist club, a club that is there, a community club all of the things that Liverpool have stood for over the years. And then something that, honestly, it, it doesn't bear thinking about. And this is the reason why I'm so dismayed, because for me, I, I actually don't think it's about local people. I think it's about owners who claim to have an affinity with the region, the club, the history, but actually they have an affinity with the potential to make money, to maximise the revenue, the reach, the global reach that Liverpool have. John W. Henry, this is about him and the people who advise him. He is an investment opportunity for him. It only ever was. We're seeing that with him, with the Glazers, with Abramovich, with with the Arab owners at City. I'm sorry, with all of those owners who own those football clubs, they are investment opportunities. And now we are seeing, sometimes there's that old saying, if something looks too good to be true, it normally is. And now we are finding that to be the case with these guys who have taken owner and you know what they'll turn around and say is we have put money into the club we've given you good times we can give you more of those good times if you just go with this and forget the the glazers put their debt on the club yep and haven't improved the facilities at old trafford as well by the way since they turned up to the club yeah well talking of manchester united i was really struck because I suppose we've all been surfing social media you know, for too many hours already a day. But there was something that, that I think it was Radio Manchester, there was a, a fan called in and there was this quote which actually really struck with me and I'd like your reaction to it, please, Addy. The, the listener said, look, a team died in 1958 to play in Europe. This is our history and it's being thrown away for money by owners. These people know nothing about Manchester. Mm. Self-evident, isn't it? Strong words, isn't it? Very, very strong words. Yeah, they know nothing about the club. They've not tried to ingratiate themselves with the club. These are just ruthless businessmen. That That's all they are and that's all they ever were. Ruthless businessmen. They might come and smile and wave and wear the club tie and the club badge on their suit. They know absolutely nothing about these clubs and... I guess that's what's sad about all of this, Mike, is that we have opened the door to people. And again, I say we have opened the door because fans have accepted these billionaire owners to come into the club. Fans, your average fan on the street doesn't know the intricacies of clubs' finances. All they hear and all they see is this person is worth 1.6 billion and that's it. My club's now going to become the richest club in the world and we're going to buy X and Y and Z. And it's like the Newcastle fans when they were extremely upset about their takeover not happening in the summer, they were already shopping for players like Neymar and Mbappe in their head. That's all they care about as fans. 
we let them in. We do this and fans. And this is why I'm not, as much as some fans are upset on social media and and they will, I'm kind of with Darren here. Fans will still watch. They will still watch. Their clubs will go out and buy the best player in the world and they'll be happy and they will talk about it. It's a new generation of fans. Uh, we are quite old school in our thoughts and beliefs because we might have seen our clubs owned by chairmen that seem to care. These new fans don't care as much. All they care about is their clubs competing and winning trophies. And that's it. And buying the best players. That's it. And it's a new Netflix generation. It's, it's so true. I mean, I remember when the Glazers came in and, and all this talk about the debt and the concerns that and the fans who fought against this and green and gold and everything. And the bottom line is that while some people left and they formed their own club and they, they you know, they stuck with it and it was it was terrific to see that solidarity during that period which has re-remained but the other fans have packed Manchester United uh, packed Old Trafford you know the other fans have gone and watched games week in week out for the other fans that anger dissipated and the owners of these football clubs are banking on that happening elsewhere as well you think that clearly you know we've seen throughout the last what 18 hours Spurs fans for example you you were talking a second ago uh, about what they're doing there and I, I was just it brought to mind the idea that that Spurs and and Real Madrid have always had that special relationship and we've always wondered what it was for now we know so that Daniel Levy can be Florentino Perez's plus one at this big party yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and you know I think that, that, that that's cuz as we all know their, their heart hopes of getting in the top four are dwindling by the day, you know. And someone put it very well when, when Daniel Levy being asked, "Are you not worried about your hopes to get him in the Champions League?" And he said, "What Champions League? <laughs> you know, I don't care about the Champions <laughs> League. He's going in the Super League. Why would he care about the Champions League?" And but the the serious aspect of this is that. There will be players outside of the that's of players. There will be fans outside of these shores who will look at this and think this is an opportunity to see Harry Kane, to see Mbappe, to see this player, to see that player. You know, you think a great young talent that's being sourced by Barcelona or Real Madrid or you know the next Vinicius Junior at Manchester City. You know, people aren't going to want to see those people play against the top teams on the biggest stage. They will. That's what these people are banking on. And I'll tell you something about all of these owners. You know, they... I, I don't know if any of you guys have seen the, the drama series Succession. and it, it, But one of the guys in there, one of the characters in there, they're all rich and they basically make a series of investments. And one of them invests in a Scottish club and turns up for the first day to speak to the players. It's a bit nonplussed as to why they're doing so badly and someone says you know this is Hibs don't you and he said oh no I thought it was Hearts you know and it, it was in a microcosm of the idea he didn't even know who they were you know these people just don't have an affinity with the football club for all the rhetoric for all the things they say for all the appearances they make they invest they reap the rewards they look at the balance sheet if things are doing well they cream off the top. If things aren't doing well, they sack the man who's in charge. They get someone in who can make the most out of what they've got. 
I can't, I don't understand why we're surprised. We see this happening in football time and time again. We see the outrage, we see the mendacity, and now we are seeing a natural evolution. As you said, Mike, it comes in cycles. This is the cycle of the Super League. So if that is the case, Addy, how will it work? Now, I know they're saying games will be played in midweek and all clubs will remain in their domestic leagues. The reality, and this is all about reality, isn't it? The reality is there's almost no point in the Premier League keeping them in, simply because they would have second-string squads playing on Saturdays or Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays, whatever day it is in the Premier League. Their top players will be playing in the Super League in Kuala Lumpur one week, <laughs> Cairns the next, right? So what is, that's my point, you know, do you agree with that idea? So if that is, what is the point in keeping them anyway? Name value. That that's all it is. It's it's name value. Um, well, they destroyed their reputation overnight. Uh, no, I, I mean in terms of the Premier League getting the money it does in terms of revenue from foreign countries, just to have the name value of Man United is still in this league. Manchester City are still in this league. Liverpool are still in this league. How much is the Premier League worth without those six top six clubs in there? Very very little. It 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 heavily relies on United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City for any any form of revenue from from sort of TV companies abroad, heavily relies on them. But I, I'm with you. It's going to be very similar to what the top teams do now in the, the League Cups. We saw what Liverpool did when they fielded a kids team to play Aston Villa, right? When Liverpool went on to go and play in a World Club Cup, it will be very similar to that. If I'm the Premier League, I kick them out now and, and I show true strength. I, I just don't think the Premier League has the might to do it. And I don't think they will do it. Get rid of them now. If I'm UEFA... I kick out Man City, Chelsea and Real Madrid from the Champions League right now. But they won't do it. Of course, they're not going to do it. They need them there. But Addy, if you do that, then you don't have a competition. The Premier League couldn't possibly do that now. I've seen this already and I, it, I'd, I'd like someone to tell me how you could possibly, what would happen to the remainder of the season? This idea, kick them out now. So, so we've got a, a race for the top four that's in tatters. No, um, no, not kick them out of the Premier League now. I'm talking about UEFA kicking out the teams in the Champions League now. Well, then what happens to the Champions League as a competition? Well, it's, it's pretty much all just dying, PSG isn't it? win by default. Yeah. But, but that, that, it's uh, null and void. You null and void it. I, I can't say. I mean, surely, like the Premier League, there are contractual issues around that that are predicated on the competition finishing. You know, sponsors... Would, would 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 need to be consulted over something that, and I can't believe that they would agree to that. TV companies, I, I mean, I'm not trying to undermine what you're saying, and it, it, by any stretch of the imagination, I just think it, it, it just, I, I can see the anger that would drive you to us all to feel that way. I, I just think that a lot of it is howling in the wind. I mean, mm. because I think the all of those clubs have covered all of those bases. These aren't just owners that operate in a yeah. singular entity. These are guys surrounded by lawyers, people, mm. e experts who would have gamed out, to use an American phrase, the, the potential for this, exactly this kind of backlash. 
and will probably be saying to them, just hold still. You know what social media is like. They'll be howling for a couple of days and then it will calm down and you'll be fine. And, and, and th- honestly, I think they have a scenario that they are playing out. From what I understand, not only will the clubs be in control of this whole thing, but they will ha- be able to put games on their own media outlets as well their twitter feeds you know, they will get the money for those games instead of giving those you know having to share that money out elsewhere i mean instead of 50 60 million pounds a season from the champions league they're going to get 250 million pounds in the champions league it is worth a couple of days of stick on twitter yeah, but again, if we're talking realities, the reality is it's probably going to go legal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, mm. You know, the Super League has already warned UEFA and FIFA that it's filed motions in several courts as a sort of preemptive strike against any possible bans. As you said earlier, Darren, there is funding in place. JP Morgan, the American Investment Bank, have confirmed that they're financing it. But I, I look at the legal side. You know, we not, none of us are lawyers, and it's it's an area that we tap dance around. But if you think about it, I don't see the case against the UEFA or FIFA if they want to ban these clubs, simply because what they're doing is they're preventing the creation of a new cartel. So that, to me is not anti-competitive, which presumably is the legal argument. It's pro-competition. Are you resigned, are we resigned, to this being fought out in the courts as much as it's going to be fought out on the playing fields? Not for a long period, no. I I actually don't think this will... Look, UEFA and um, the Premier League and whoever else might try and fight this, but I think, like what Darren says... They've pressed the boom button on this, and that's what I'm going to call it, the boom button this for a reason. They, This has all been sorted out many, many months ago. I think they are well aware what ramifications we'd be approaching, and I, I think they've got this sorted. We might have a few issues of it going to court, but I, I don't think they would have pressed the go button on this without knowing exactly what to expect. This is happening, Mike, and whether we like it or not, this is going to go ahead. All the clubs have released that same silly Super League statement, which doesn't say too much. Florentino Perez, no, no, no surprise there that he's the head of all this. This is this is a go, and I just think it's a matter of time. What happens with the Premier League and what look what hap- what will be interesting is if FIFA get involved because FIFA have obviously spoken potentially about banning players playing internationally. So then it could be a case of players maybe taking a stance on this rather than us as fans, and that by, that might be a bit more powerful. But I don't see this lasting the courts too long. I see this happening and happening very, very soon, unless the players take a stance. Well, that's the irony, isn't it, Darren, that we are now, again, as a byproduct of the pandemic, living in a time where professional footballers, young professional footballers, primarily actually young black professional footballers, are operating as athlete activists. Mm. They are challenging the conscience. Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Rhys James, many others. That's the irony of this, isn't it? The footballers themselves are almost going to have to act out of character to accept this. Absolutely. And I I think my fear is that with all of the other issues, there has been something 
that they have felt a passion to change something that has gone against them for a long time. But with this, they could well be beneficiaries because if there is this huge contract that a huge agreement that the clubs are signing up to where they will make vast fortunes. Clearly, if they want to retain the best talent, then they are going to have to remunerate those players accordingly. So I can't see that the players would be against having the biggest stage to play on, the biggest opponents to play on. And <laughs> I think a lot of agents will be looking very, very closely. If you're in the last year of your contract and you're a top player, you're, you could be quids in after this so that uh, again mm. I, I'm, that's that actually sounds sad if i'm honest with you darren hearing you say that absolutely. And, and look this isn't this isn't you're just saying what's going to happen and you're right it, it is going to happen but my thought and when mike mentioned it my thought was a player fighting back and not thinking about the financial rewards but thinking about the love of the mm. game and listening to what the fans because if you think about it Addy, you know I, I mentioned Rashford and people like that but it's also you think about the way the Premier League captains have been operating mm. you know, the, the Liverpool players Trent Alexander-Arnold Jordan Robertson, Henderson uh, yeah, by, yeah you know you know those guys are acting out of conscience mm. and that that gives me a, a a glimmer of hope it's not a you know it's not Hallelujah! We're going to be saved, but is a glimmer of hope there. There is. I've always felt like the, the the relationship between the players and fans was a gap that was widening throughout the years. It doesn't help when you when you realise that players and look, this is no dig at Phil Foden. Don't even run their social media accounts. You you'd like to think that players right now would speak up and talk, but they're employed by the clubs. Um, I can imagine everyone being on mute right now and being told to stay on mute. I do hope, though, that there are some senior players that come out and do say stuff about this. Uh, we saw what Mark Noble did, wrongly or rightly, at the start of the season with West Ham. Got a lot of stick for it from some West Ham fans, but came out and spoke about it just because he is the captain of the club. And you'd like to think that some other players will take heed and do something. But, like what Darren said, right now these players are... Look, if this does happen, I mean, they're quids in, right? They're assets, and they're assets that... I mean, they're going to be worth a lot of money and make a lot of money. So again, Mike, as, my, as much as, you know, as, as sad as it sounds, everyone's on board in this, it seems. It really does seem like everyone's on board. Okay, let's just bring this round full circle and let's talk personally. Just want to, each of you, please, just to dwell on the facts or dwell on your own memories, really. When did you fall in love with football? And why did you fall in love with football? I fell in love with football at the 1982 World Cup. I watched a Brazilian team that were simply magnificent. Adair Falcao, Junior, Socrates, stroking the ball around the pitch, almost at walking pace, scoring spectacular goals. I still remember the clenched fist celebrations of Falcao and Socrates, the majesty that those players kind of strolled around. But I remember being heartbroken when Italy beat them, Paolo Rossi's uh, hat-trick, and put them out of the competition. I remember the headline. It was probably that day I became a tabloid newspaper journalist. I was only 11 at the time, but I remember being <laughs> struck by... 
I know they're the opposition, but I'll give them a mention by the Sun's back page headline, Brazilian. Which, uh, oh, that's a good one. That's, that's solid. That <laughs> that's very solid. Absolutely. Uh, that, that was definitely the day that I, I fed in love. I mean, I've had many, many heroes after that over the subsequent years. I loved the France team in 86. Everyone adored Maradona, the, the good Maradona, not so much the bad one. Roger Miller at, at 1990. And lots of my heroes have been on the international stage, I have to say, because I think English football was particularly ugly in parts. There were some wonderful moments in English football, but there were some horrible moments, you know, hooliganism and all of the nasty elements at that time. So although I did have some... John Barnes is a very obvious icon of that era, but if you're asking when I actually fell in love with it, I can remember very clearly that World Cup and watching it as an 11-year-old boy uh, and, and just being absolutely besotted by it. What do you think, Ellie? What about you? My one's more of a, an emotional attachment and quite an uncomfortable one as well, but it was with my dad. So I grew up in a very, a very busy household. Uh, my dad wasn't around as much, but when he was and when he was happy and joyful and smiling was when we used to watch football together and he was a Liverpool supporter. So no doubt a bit of a, a bit of a gold digger, a gold, like just, uh, just loved everything about Liverpool winning. We're from a Nigerian background. And at the time, in the, the late 80s, early 90s, Liverpool were the biggest team in Nigeria. No longer that now. That's now Manchester United and Chelsea. But I didn't see my dad much. But when we did, we would sit down and watch football. And he adored John Barnes. He, he absolutely loved him. And um, I remember just, even as a kid back then, so what, eight or nine, just seeing the emotion in my dad's face. So my love from football came from my love from my dad and seeing him being happy because I rarely saw it. I rarely saw him and rarely saw it. So just being around my dad and just the joy he got from Liverpool, hence why I became a Liverpool supporter, was how I fell in love with it. I think it, my love for it really sort of rose more in the 1990 World Cup. So it's weird as how it's always around a World Cup, but mine was the 1990 World Cup and just... Pavarotti, <laughs> that's what, that's my thing, right? <laughs> Pavarotti in the 1990 World Cup, the Italian team, just everything about the 1990 World Cup made me fall in love with football. I was nine at the time, so I kind of felt like I understood football a bit more. So yeah, it's it's grown up being around my dad, who's no longer here, no longer with us, and um, Italian 90, that, that was my two. In terms of sort of heroes and players I loved, John Barnes was obviously the first one then Robbie Fowler, but on the world scene, um, there's no player I love more than the original Ronaldo R9. No one, no one, no footballer has my heart more than him. I love him. Thanks, guys. You see, dear listener, even hardened hacks have got hearts of gold. Like Darren, I'll go back to when I was 11 years old and football allowed me to dream as a child, I was a ball boy at Watford. In the words of Seb Stafford Bloor, late of this parish, it was a rust bucket club. Second, third division. Now, as a ball boy, we changed next to the home dressing room in a laundry area that smelled of football. That smell is liniment, stale sweat, and a sort of soupçon of soap powder. 
we could hear the murmur of the crowd through a frosted fanlight, and we could also hear the muffled shouts of the players next door getting ready to go out. Once we got out there, all you could see was faces. It was an amazing experience to see so many thousands of people united by a common cause. And being so close to the players on the touchline, we could actually feel their tension. We could see their anger. We could hear their alarm. Now, I was hooked on football from that moment. I've fallen out of love with what it is becoming. But I refuse to believe it's beyond help. And I don't want the game that all of us love deep down to be besmirched and hijacked by people who have ATMs for souls. What do you think? Please let me know. And in the meantime, thanks to Addy and Darren for their insight. And to you for listening to what's been a busy Football Writers Podcast. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.